When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. Big thanks for joining us back end of last week for our live show, but we're back with a pre-recorded edition, although this will be out in your ears and in your eyes on YouTube shortly after we finish recording. But uh, Rob was speaking after United beat Luton Town. It could have been a lot more comfortable than it was, couldn't it? <laughs> feels like... The, the catchphrase of the show when we talk about Man United playing actual football, isn't it? It's like, well, it could have been easier. But, Scott, you won the game. And I think this is a nice little habit now, isn't it? Forming, developing from United. Is that, yeah, there's, it's not going to be perfect with these players. Like, is it ever going to be? But you're seeing that they're turning the screw when they need to. So I think in that game, it, it could have been a lot worse, obviously. You win the, the football match. And I actually think the second half, they weathered you know, most of the storm that was being developed there by Luton. But Luton, you see, like they're 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 a better team than their name gives over, isn't it? Like they they've they've got quality. It's just I think United let them play a little bit too yeah. much. I mean, as down as you might be on like some of the poor performances at Kenilworth Road yesterday, Arsenal have gone there and had a had to win in injury time. Man City mm. were trailing that game. Yeah. Liverpool dropped points and drew there. I think they beat New did they beat Newcastle? I can't remember. But they yeah. You know, everyone they, struggled there. Everyone struggled there. So I think United they could they could have won by a lot more, but it was a two-one win. Rasmus Hoyland scoring twice. He's now the youngest player ever to score in six consecutive Premier League matches. I know. Remember people calling him rubbish a few months ago? Exactly. And I and I think it shows with strikers, and it's the old adage, isn't it, of confidence, you know, score one, score three, score five. I just think with Rasmus, he's just all of those that that kind of early week promise that we saw there is just now all that is is coming to fruition and developing. That's literally all it is. Is that he, he wasn't playing badly in those opening games, and everyone forgets he was top scorer in the Champions League in the same moment that people were saying that he was a bust. So balance as always, but I think he's a uh, he, there's genuine kind of belief now about what he is. Like you know, United spent a lot of money on this talent. And I think you can now see that he had so much to go. One of the conversations I just said around the, around the football match is that he kind of gives you more than, say, Haaland gives City in the open play, like in all open play. Now, of course, Haaland's the best goal scorer in the world, so you can't knock him for that. But I actually think Hoyland's ground game, press, all of that stuff looks smarter than, than most of his competitors in the Premier League. So I think United are very lucky to have him. We'll talk about him a bit later in the show. Uh, I'm Scott, joined by Rob. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast to The Promised Land. We are The Promised Land, a Man United podcast 
on YouTube. So please subscribe. We sometimes drop live shows and uh, we will sometimes do more as well, hopefully. Uh, big response. Uh, really appreciate anyone getting involved as we were recording it the other day. Live comments, etc., etc. Uh, like this video, though, like every video we've done previously, subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts for the audio version, and leave a comment for us, five-star review, wherever you want to do. Pop the notification bell on so you never miss a show as well on the audio and video platforms, and follow us on social media, double underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at TPLMUFC. We will talk about the result at Luton. We'll talk a little bit about Dan Ashworth, and we'll talk a little bit about Old Trafford, because things seem to be moving really quickly, don't they? Mm. Um, now, um, how do I say this? It seems as though Jim Ratcliffe is wasting no time at all, but... Also, how does it reflect on the Glazers that all of this was so easy to do that like everything has essentially happened within the space of two weeks and he hasn't even taken over yet? I, I, did, am I making sense? <laughs> you, you are making sense. I think the thing is, it's not. I wouldn't say it's easy to do. I would say that if you are efficient and you have something in your mind and your brain about achievement and about you want to go from A to Z... And guess what? You've got to kind of do the work quickly to get to where you want to be, isn't it? It's the same in all walks of life. It's not just in football. And I think what you're seeing here is that there is someone who has a method to his own madness and about his own ambitions, and he's getting on with the work. It's just that. And I think with the Glazers, yeah, Man United were a bank to them. Yeah, they tried to do it their own way. I heard someone say yesterday, actually, that they were way too faithful to the people that worked for them. They didn't challenge their own people. That's on them, isn't it? That's the, you know they're the bosses and they own the football club, so they hired a lot of those people that have failed in the last ten years. So it's on them totally. And I think you know we're, we're all very enthused about what's happening in the last few weeks, both with Old Trafford and the board appointments. And now we have to see how it comes again to fruition, Scott, isn't it? About how do you turn this project into winning football matches? That's all it really comes down to at the end of the day. Is that you're thinking long term about United as a as as a football team and developing the brand and Old Trafford and all of that stuff. Ultimately, three points for a win every week is what you're going to get judged on. So I, I like the earliest incarnation of this Manchester United. It does feel different. You know, it does feel definitely more positive than anything we've seen in the last 10 years. Yeah, there was even an announcement to the back end of last week, which we haven't covered yet, obviously, about things that will be consulted on by Trafford Council regarding redevelopment of the entire area around Old Trafford. Yes. Uh, that is a big a big area. So how could that change the dam- dynamic and the conversation about what will happen to Old Trafford? I think, for me, I think it seems to look towards staying on the same area but building an entirely new ground. That That was what I kind of took from it. But obviously... All this will be consulted on, and we'll uh, we'll get to that later in the show. But let's let's jump back to Luton, Rob. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the most important thing was winning. United are now within touch of Tottenham, who lost at home to Wolves at the weekend, which was interesting. Um, things turning around, though. United have won every game that they've played this year. <laughs> Crazy stuff. What what's happening? Uh, Rasmus Hoyland, we touched on him briefly with two goals. First goal after 37 seconds, just showing a bit of desire to actually get his body to an area where he could have collected a ball that was passed 
as erratically as it was. And obviously he finished it really well. And the second goal was a deft little touch with his, uh, with his chest, wasn't it? A uh, bit quick word on Rasmus before we, uh, before we move on to other stuff within the match. Well, we started on with Rasmus, didn't we? And I think, you know, you think about the first goal, Scott, that all comes about from an ethic up here. And I'm pointing to my, my noggin for people who are listening on audio that he he anticipated that in a way that, say, Marshall and Rashford never would. They were never running after that ball, were they, in any light in the past? Because it's like, well, there's no need to because the ball's going backwards, so we're not going to close that space down. I think what you see with Hoyland is that he just has that innate work rate in him. And as a striker, that's exactly what a number nine should do, isn't it? You should be anticipating that you might get some slim pickings out of that. You might be able to do something with it. And of course, he got a gift, didn't he? So I think the, it was a great first goal. But the second goal, Scott, for me, is just wonderful. Wonderful. Like, I know people People might go, oh, was it an accident or did he it mean it? It was so on purpose. Like, just watch it. it. You can see his You can see his brain thinking a, a millisecond before it, it arrives at him and he just, you know, well, he moves says his it. chest towards it. And he, yeah, he, he said, said it afterwards. afterwards. Yeah, he said it afterwards. He, he was like, he was like, I absolutely 100% deliberately meant to do it. And I watched it and obviously you watch the replays, don't you, very, very quickly. And I was like... I was like, was he just trying to get out of the way? And then you actually see that kind of angle where from the side, you know, and I'll try not to like bash my own microphone here with my chest control, but he kind of like moves his moves his body there. It's absolutely a shot on goal because it's going wide anyway. And do, do you notice, Scott, in the set piece routines, he does the same thing. So it's definitely practice that he starts on the goalkeeper and he pulls off to, the, to a far post, right? And that's to either open the shot up for whoever the, whoever's got the ball, got the opportunity, so he stays on side because that's what he does, or it's trying to get that deflection, trying to get something on it, and to be able to do it with your chest like that and control it into the bottom corner, like it came off perfectly for him. But my God, how long have we waited for a number nine to be able to score these <laughs> horrible goals? That's exactly what I was just going to say. Ten years of like, oh, we bought Radamel Falcao to score tap-ins and he was only only uh, coming coming in as a, a loan signing at the wrong end of his career. You know, I'd have had a striker that can score all of these messy six-yard goals forever. He's a genuine fox in a box. That's what he is. So not even uh, only that, though. Like, he is that, but he's not only that. Which is Absolutely. really encouraging. This Sorry, is it. He, he, he's, he, he might not be able to finish like Haaland, but I tell you what, he does all these other things that other strikers don't do so well. I think when you look across the league and you, you compare number nines, and that's what we do in journalism, it's kind of like comparing and contrast. I think when you look at someone, say, like Ollie Watkins at, for, at, at, at Villa, Watkins gives them so many different things and he can score tap-ins. And that's what you're looking for from your number nine now is that they can do different things. You don't want them just to be a kind of Martial who can beat 10 men, but then won't do the other stuff. You know, I'm sorry to keep comparing it to Tony Martial, but it's the same with Rashford. I think Rashford can run in straight lines, but Rashford's not going to give you the overall number nine work rate. So yeah, he's, but he's, he's just got all of these things out to his armory and it's, it's impressive to see, but that second goal was brilliant. And I thought after 10 minutes, Scott, I thought this is going to be good, isn't it today? And then it all Manchester changed. United, <laughs> Manchester United strike again. Then we all went very united. And again, Eric's on the sideline like this, and you're thinking, "Poor bloke!" Like it's yes, fun. It's funny because I was WhatsApping, uh, watching the game, and Harry, who's an Arsenal fan, our producer for the show, and I do uh, I do content with him as well. Said, oh, I've worked all day 
you know, been doing all these errands and stuff so I could sit down and watch the football. Bearing in mind, he's an Arsenal fan. They just won 5-0 at Burnley. He grew up doing the Fergie Van Gears, who doesn't really like United that much. And then he sits down and goes, oh, it's ruined after 30 seconds. Oh, wait, it's ruined after seven minutes. And I was like, this is United. Don't worry. They'll make a game of it somehow. And it turns out they did. Um, gave up a goal after 14 minutes. I think a little bit unlucky, but I didn't really know what Onana was doing there. I've got to be honest. He kind of just like jumped at it. Know. And I, I don't know. What like, he shouldn't have really... It, that the way that it fell, I mean, you could defend it better, but the way that it fell, you don't expect your keeper to save that, but you expect him to do a bit better than he did because he was nowhere near it. I expect him to save it again. I think we did a whole show a few weeks ago of I've been saying if a goalkeeper puts his hands here, yeah, your idea is that you, you know, you've got movement left and right to be able to do it. And what did you score? He kind of came out with his arms flailing. And again, I'm doing the impression here on camera. So if you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see what I'm doing. And and I think he makes it easy for the striker because the striker then only had Morris has to just nod it towards goal and you've got a chance. If he comes out with his hands stood there and his legs planted, Scott, it, it doesn't go in. It's just impossible. It just hits one of his hands. Uh, it's a worry, Scott. I think you're getting, you know, there's a, there was a lot of things to talk about defensively yesterday and we will do. Onana wasn't the biggest one yesterday, but you can see, how can you trust a goalkeeper that, just can't do it in that moment. You saw there Luke Shaw couldn't get to the ball with that moment when it comes across to Morris. That's worrying. Obviously, Luke Shaw went off. But I think your goalkeeper there just doesn't have to jump out towards the ball. Just just stand still and put your hands up. And then you catch the ball, probably. It's like he kind of did go quite close to his body again. It's worrying with Anana how many goals have gone in the net that have gone really close to him and just kind of slice through his body. It's like he's got no body mass. So, one to watch because... I don't know. Can you go into next year with a goalkeeper that that has this in him? Saying that he still played okay, he wasn't wasn't the worst performance that we've seen from Andre Anana. No, but like we'll talk about how the basic fundamentals of being a professional with some experience, yeah, were completely lacking throughout most of that game. Well, let's say. Um, a good 40 minutes, maybe after the second goal went in through half time. Yeah. And there were some points in the second half. The United had a, a lot better control in the second half, I think, but still gave up chances, you know. Mm. Um th- that question should be asked about a lot of players, unfortunately. And while United are winning, the lack of control in matches, the lack of intelligence on display is really worrying when you think you've got Brailsford, Ratcliffe, Ashworth on his way in. Um, Jason Wilcox, technical director. I think that has been, it looks like it's going that way as well. You know, these people are going to come in and have a look at this and think, Mm. no, we're all about competency. And there's not much competence on display at the moment. And I'm talking about, I don't know how you how do you want to go on Bruno Fernandes, but I thought his performance yesterday was just typical of him, but somehow even worse. I mean, the, well, the corner at the end, Rob, the corner, runs over to take the corner, two minutes of injury time left. I was screaming, right, okay, run in the corner, keep it in there. Keep kill it the in game. there. Yeah. Just kill the game, buy a foul, or buy a throw-in, or buy another corner, or something. Nah, I'm going to run around, have a shot at the keeper, and then they're going to run down the other end and hit the bar. 
Like, mm. what are you doing? Again, it's like all walks of life, isn't it? I was make these analogies. It's like can't do or won't do. And I think like in that moment there with Bruno, it's not they can't do it. Like, come on, you, you're a very well-paid professional footballer. The game is 2-1. You must have been in this scenario before where you're killing games and slowing games down. And what does he do? 93rd minute, he has a shot, and that then leads to the the opportunity that Ross Barkley had where he hit the crossbar. So, like, that all comes from that. <laughs> so, uh, there's this mixture, Scott, of always, like, with United, of incompetency, but just plain kind of fecklessness just stupidness like what are you doing you're grown-ups play proper football again it was my son's playing football and i was on the sideline i would be giving that advice i'd be like keep the ball what are you doing you don't have to do it and they're not highly paid professional footballers so i think the funny thing is united is there is a blend there now of like younger players we said like hoyland and garnacho giving you a lot of upside but it's actually the senior players you worry about, isn't it? So, like, in this game, I think Casemiro seems to walk the same line in every football match now, and that is that midfield identifies that Casemiro can't run. Midfield looks at Casemiro and targets him. Casemiro then dives in on someone at some point within the first half an hour. Casemiro gets booked. Then we have to decide whether Casemiro is going to lose you the football match. Now, I saw in the last game, I think it's Villa kind of Casemiro turned it round. It's a big question now for Eric Ten Hag going forward because it hurts you every week. And then I think it hurts what's around you as well. And we talk about Bruno Fernandes there. I think that was I think Bruno's played okay in the number eight in recent weeks, but yesterday was just a one-man midfield with Kobe Manu. Like it was just like without Kobe yesterday, I think you you probably lose. And he just gives you all of the kind of gives you all that experience that an 18-year-old should give you. Like, it's so weird, Scott, and backwards. He's the one who plays normal-styled football and looks after the football. just common sense. Common sense football. And, of, and, of course, I, I'm, you know, I'm taking away from him a little bit. There. His technical ability is so good. The, yeah. it, the ball sticks to him. Like, there's moments where he kind of gets possession and he's got, like, two, three players around and he just dribbles through them. I'm like, what are you, how do you do that? And this is actually, so starkly different to everybody else that I'm watching. And it's odd because, like, he must play. He must play with these eldest, eldest statesmen who've got all these trophies, and he must just there be there in training with his eyes wide open. Like, what? Are, what does this lot do? I don't understand it. Why are they doing this? And why? Why am I being told to do that? So I think like Cobby looks after the game for you, and I think in the second half he did that as well. Like his yellow card was ridiculous. Like, I thought he slid in. It was a bad angle, but he got the ball, and I don't think that should have been a yellow card. But you did see yesterday again with game management especially in that, I think that first half period for about 20 or 30 minutes after United were 2-0 up. They just couldn't manage it. They just couldn't manage anything like putting their foot on the ball. And I was absolutely convinced that that Maguire was going to get sent off because Maguire was worried about Casemiro in front of him. And then Maguire dives in two or three times and you're like, oh, and credit to the manager. And I said, I've criticised him in recent weeks. He managed that really well. Taking those two players off who are, you know, two of your leaders, in that situation, I thought, you know, bringing on Johnny Evans, I thought Johnny Evans had a really, really good second half, helped Varane loads. And he had 10 clearances, Scott, Johnny Evans, in 45 minutes, which is way like double the average for normally 90 minutes for most people. So he had a fantastic game. And it just depends how much you can rely on that now in the week's head, isn't it? Like, what do you do with Casemiro? I think it's a big question. Do you bring Amrabat in now? Like, that's possible option at six and eight but i know people won't like that 
I just don't know what Casemiro is giving you at the moment, except, you know, nightmares. I, th- I think you keep taking the risk. This is, I'm going to say something in a second that I, I don't know might be controversial in a sense, but I think you keep taking the risk. What we're seeing with Casemiro at times is his, he has nous for closing things down. Sometimes, of course, a lot of the time he gets run past. Uh, it gets booked every single game. He's running that tightrope mostly every single game. But, right, I, people have been... People look to the ta- the tactics that Eric Ten Hag's trying to play, right? Mm. And saying, oh, where, where's the identity? What What's going on? What the hell is this team? To me, like, that was another... I've been saying it all season. That was another proof, another... Yeah, Another version of proof that these players can't do what the manager's asking them to do. Mm. And I feel like, right, and this is this is where I think maybe controversial, I don't know. I think United will be a massive, massive, massively better version of themselves once they get competent players. More Kobe Menus in there. I think you see a drastic improvement with the tactics they're trying to implement because just some of these players are way too careless with the ball. If you're more careless with the ball... All of these gaps, all of these holes dry up because you strangle the opposition. And they did that for 10 minutes with Luton. And then it's like, oh, no, we're just going to, I'm just going to run through and have a shot, or I'm just going to do something a little bit mad with the ball and give them a lifeline, give them something back. Like if you stick to the plan and you're technically sound and you're smart with what you're doing, you don't give Luton that ability. And I feel like it's, it's player personnel. I think Ten Hag needs different players within that. He needs more people with temperaments like Menu to yeah. to to take over matches. And I feel like we'll start seeing that if he gets his chance next season. I think what you're saying there is probably what's already in Dan Ashworth and Dave Brelsford's minds. Like that it is as basic as competency like that of just don't give the ball away and play football that that like, I'm not I, I don't think in that game there like you heard what Ten Hag said afterwards and he, he tries to be as nice as possible doesn't he because he's just he's just that kind of guy where he's a very like conservative way of approaching what comes out of his mouth but he was kind of like we just don't look after the ball and he kind of said it he was just like we don't we don't do those things and then like bad things happen like what do you expect so it's a real it's a real hard thing because I don't think tactically he's particularly difficult to work out. And I'm sure the, the the things he's telling his players are not difficult things. But like you just said there, Bruno Fernandes. If Bruno Fernandes is playing the number eight and Bruno Fernandes has to look after the ball for a certain period of time, I think you can maybe already know, Scott, that here we are in 2024. Look, Bruno Fernandes is not going to be that that player for you. He's not going to look after the ball for you. Just said about Casemiro as well. Like, yeah, you carry on taking the risk. The problem with that is that if you take the risk and your run, your luck runs out, and Casemiro gets sent off because he will. Like we know it's coming. It depends whether that costs you a football match. I think yesterday the manager pulling him at forty-five minutes tells you what the manager is thinking because the manager's like, I can't carry on with this. I think maybe several weeks ago, if we'd been in that scenario, it just played on until Casemiro got sent off. And we'd then be doing a show about why does Casemiro dive in? It's just like the oldest thing in the world. We see it all the time. So you're right. I think when you get different players to do different things, and this is why I mentioned Amrabat there, because I don't think Amrabat is better than Casemiro. Like, absolutely not. Casemiro has much bigger upside in, in his overall game. 
but you're really hamstringing Kobe Manu. You really are. Like, if Kobe's having to run midfields on his own just because Casemiro picks up a load of money and needs to play, or that Bruno's not playing as a 10 anymore, which is where I would like to see him play, he's now playing the eight, and he can't do it as well. Yesterday, what you really needed, Scott, in many ways, was a Christian Eriksen to put your foot on the ball, but you can't get Eriksen on the pitch because you're playing next in line, which is, of course, Scott McTominay. So, this is, I think, the imbalance for the manager is that yeah, he does just need better players and hopefully you'll get there in the end. But if you're if you're Dan Ashworth and you're watching this from a technical standpoint, you must be looking at after the squad and just going, we're not going to bother trying to develop this. We're going to burn it down mm. because what can you do when you've watched this team do this for years? And it's the same culprits, isn't it? Like, Did, did I, you see um, Did you see Jose Mourinho on, speaking to Rio Ferdinand <laughs> the other day? Yes. And they asked him... Uh, Rio asked him, "What did there was one summer where he kind of he kind of melted down, didn't he? Mm. And there was one summer where he melted down completely, was a bit miserable, and he was asked, what did what incomings did you want?" Mm. And he was he went, "No, it wasn't about incomings; it was about clearing players out that I knew weren't good enough, and mm. a lot, a few of them are still there. I think he's mm. talking about Martial." Honestly, I, yes. I think he was talking about Martial, probably a, one or two others, maybe Luke Shaw as well. We'll yeah. talk about him in a second. But it, it, that is proof there. Like you, these players, or a lot of these players, have lived through different versions of Man United and different different managers. And like, yet you see every, every club who's en- by any means successful now establishes a style of play that they want to play from the top and then recruit players for that style of play. Whereas United mm. have a bunch of players and then they try and fit a style of play which doesn't suit them on them. Yeah. And I think what we're... Going back to my point just now, I think when people ask what's the style, I think you saw it. They're just not very good at it. Like there was Harry Maguire yesterday on numerous times pushed up on Carlton Morris to kind of press, keep, keep the press moving forward, keep the squeeze on. He fouled yeah. him a few times, but I could see what he was trying to do. United are trying to squeeze them up yeah. and trying to play that high-pressure football, but they, they can't really do it because they, their defenders are too slow. <laughs> mm. So, you know, it's, there's a lot of potential holes in it. If they get the right profiles in, I feel like you'll see some drastic improvements pretty quickly, and then, you, then you'll see the style of play which actually comes out. Well, 100%. And, and, and I think it does go from... When you look at the defence to the midfield, it's... It's kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like the stuff we talk about all the time, but it, it has to happen eventually. And that is that, you know, you've got this one diamond here now in a rough in Kobe Manu, is that you do need more Kobe's. That's just, that's just the bottom line. And I think yesterday you saw with Harry Maguire, is that Harry Maguire still has very defined weaknesses. But as you said there, he was trying to push up on Morris. And that's clearly an instruction. Like that's what you would have seen Lissandra Martinez do. Lissandra Martinez would have been tasked to go tight to the player, to not allow him to turn and to not allow midfield runners. And the problem with Maguire is that as soon as something goes in behind, he's in trouble because he's just very slow. So you can't make Maguire quicker, but you also can't completely change your style. And I think you saw there with as soon as Casemiro got that yellow card, is that there was one phase of play where they were running through United for the umpteenth time. And Casemiro did put his foot out and thought, I'm going to foul someone here. He would have gone. That would have been a red card, no doubt about it. But that's in their heads. And you could see with Maguire that he was worried about that. And when you lose Luke Shaw as well, again, to another you know injury, you're, you're really having to compromise yourself. And funnily enough, all three of them going off together 
might have helped United. Like mm. I think they were then able to kind of reset and go, right, okay, we need to play slightly different. And it slowly but surely improved. But yeah, it's the same old players, Scott, as well. And I think this is the worrying thing is that I know it's the favourites and, you know, people know I'm hard on Bruno. I think it's well with Rashford. Rashford seems to be connecting really well with the two young lads up top, but still doesn't quite give you everything from a wide player like it's not on our agenda today but obviously we know that Mbappe is leaving PSG and maybe that door will reopen with PSG and then the conversation will be do you going sell to Madrid Marcus? there's no point uh, oh I'm sorry do you sell Marcus Rashford selling, as selling his, into, as, yeah maybe maybe as his replacement and obviously maybe. that is that's where the chatter is going at I thought the you're talking about Mbappe to United then no 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 Mbappe to United it's not <laughs> happening I think, I think the I think Dave Brailsford actually said because he was asked about it wasn't he and Dave Brailsford went I think the boy's got his heart playing for Madrid I think that's okay I think that's where he's going but I think with Rashford like I think Rashford's definitely improving with these front with the front this country was built on a distinctly American work ethic but today work is in trouble We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Free, but it, then it's all again about the other parts of the game about consistency. Um, then do you sell Rashford to fund these player moves? Because this is all you've got. You haven't got a lot of players in your team that you could sell to make profit or something like that if you're going to reinvest. So that's going to be a conversation for another day. But I think Bruno as well is on is on the chopping block because if you don't want to play him as a number ten, then do you really want to play him as number eight all season next year? I, for me, straight away the answer to that is probably no. None of these players really scream control, do they? And I think you, God, no. if you have a lot more control, you'll see everything tighten up. And that's just what I think. And that's why I think providing Ten Hag can get United to a point where they they finish in the top four, top five or whatever, and they're playing a lot better, their results are a lot better. I hope he gets another season. Uh, that, that's my position on it. But let, uh, let's... Um, I just wanted to mention Luke Shaw. Hmm. Two consecutive weeks now, he's gone off at halftime or just before halftime with a, a knock or a concern. Uh, 
I think it was Simon Peach said that he left in a protective boot after mm. the game. And look, we've been having this conversation. We, like, I know people rate Luke Shaw, right? And people, and when Luke Shaw's in the team, United are much better, much better football team. They, they, they just are. They, he helps Marcus Rashford. He's a really good left back. But it comes a point where if you're saying when we get Luke Shaw back all the time, that is not a viable option to move forward with. And I, I was looking at all the positions and Luke Shaw would have been one of the players that I kept in, you know, a starting 11. Let's say United signed five players. It wouldn't have been, left back wouldn't have been on my priority list. But he's 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 not fit so regularly now that you can't depend on him. And you have to look at what these injuries are, I think is the other side of it. Because like, yes, I saw when he pulled up just before and it was pretty innocuous. It wasn't wasn't really anything at all, but he, he pulls up pretty dramatically. He's kind of like, really like, ouch, something hurt, something went. Uh, it, it's the same old story with Luke Shaw, but I think it is also for, for any player that gets reoccurring injuries is that you have to look at usage and rotation. So like, I've still got no problem with keeping Luke Shaw at Man United. Like I think that he does improve you massively in certain elements of the game. But what you need to go is coverage. You need proper coverage in the squad. You need two players for each position. The problem for Man United is that when those moments happen, who are you going to at the moment? Victor Lindelof. Now, I know Malassia is still out. I still don't understand why Delo doesn't go left side and you don't have... Um... I'll tell you why, because I think Delo's playing quite well at right back at the moment. Do you think he played well and... yesterday? Yeah, I do. I thought he got cooked by Tav Chong for most of the game. So like I think he did okay. And I think I don't think he did anything particularly wrong because there are other players around him doing wrong stuff. But I think again for the balance of the team, I think with Victor Lindelof, because he does has played extensively on the left side in 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 the center over his career. So he has done that, even though he's a right-sided player. I still think at left back, it's like a different art form. Like it really, really is. I think you saw one stage in the second half where he did bomb forward and Rashford saw him and Rashford went, no, I'm not doing that. I'm just going back inside. And you're like, oh, just use him. Like, you know, spread the, spread that side of the wing, go down there and go you know, play together a little two-man game. Um, but you're stuck with that while Luke Shaw is having these injuries. But I think the other side is, Scott, you can't rush him back. Like, I think we all thought coming back was too quick. And that maybe Luke Shaw should have just sat on the bench for that game and come on for 20 or 30 minutes. And then you're not pushing him over the edge. So I think players want to play, like even when they're injured, most of the time a player will put his hand up and say, yeah, I'll give it a go, boss, because I want to help the team. I think most players are like that. Sometimes you need to be smarter than that. You have to actually pull back and go, no, you know what? I need I need another few days. I think Luke Shaw, he's had a lot of time out, hasn't he? So he wants to play, he wants to prove himself. But I think that the answer here, Scott, is you've got to go buy another left back somewhere. Go down the line, even buy a hybrid left back. Someone who is more maybe of a wing back, can play in midfield, can play at the other end. You saw yesterday, didn't you, with Doherty, you know, plays for Luton. Someone there who is essentially an attacker. It's what he is, but he's also playing the fullback role at times. Yeah, he'll drop in. And that's what you want. You want someone who can do the modern function. Luke Shaw can do the modern function, but I think he's overworked. I, feel like, I think Lissandra Martinez last year just got overworked to the point where his body broke down. And what did we do, Scott? We dragged him back quickly, didn't we? He got injured again. So sometimes I don't think it's about the player being injury prone. I just think that the, the, the workload is over the top for these United players half the time because you haven't got options. And that is something I think Dan Ashworth will be addressing on day one. They'll be looking at the kind of flexibility of the squad because at the moment, it's a pretty brittle selection. United have had in masses of injuries for as yeah. long as I can remember. 
And that's not, it's not a coincidence. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think they're just unlucky all the time. It's got, something's got to be sorted out. Um, but you, meant, you mentioned Van Gaal, do you remember? Go Van Gaal on. said it as well. Van Gaal was like, mm. he'd bought a load of players and he was saying the same thing. He was like, players are overworked. He was like, the squad's overworked. He said, but I'm stuck because I have to put a team out of wins. And I think that's the same for Ten Hag. I don't think Ten Hag wants Luke Shaw out there, doesn't he? And Luke Shaw says, yes, boss, I'm ready to play. Then what do you kind of do? Put Victor Lindroff out there at left back? So, I don't know. I think it's a rock and a hard place for the manager. You mentioned Dan Ashworth there a couple of times. Uh, we'll mm. move on to him in a second. But subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube, Spotify, Apple for audio. The Promise Land and Man United podcast is where you can find us if you haven't subscribed already at double underscore Scott Saunders on X TikTok. I posted a TikTok yesterday. Did you? Rasmus Hoyland and uh, Instagram at underscore Rob underscore B on YouTube and X and TPL at TPL MUFC on X as well for the show. We usually run Mondays and Fridays at the moment as it stands. But yeah. Hopefully more live edition stuff to come in the future weeks for you. You mentioned Dan Ashworth, Rob. Mm. He's gone on gardening leave. He's going to do some gardening. What do you think he's planting? <laughs> I think I think the daffodils are already in and coming up like roses. So, yeah, gardening leave. We talked about that before, didn't we, Omar Barada and what gardening leave really is. Everyone like, oh, he's not allowed to do the job. Well, I think now that the fact that he's gone to Newcastle and said, yeah, I'm kind of done here. It's a done deal in that in that context. You know, Dan Ashworth wants this job. I think the whole Dave Brailsford thing is very powerful for him, and that's why he's coming to Man United. Uh, and I think Guardian Leave now is just it's just a placeholder to say that that he will be Manchester United's next sporting director. And United have pulled another one off here, haven't they? It's a blinder. Like I think you look at him. It's it's the best in class, you know. Hate that phrase. We keep using it all the time, but it's he is it's the best in class, or what you could go get. And I think now you've got someone who, whether he's on gardening leave or not, will be controlling your project from behind the scenes and working with all of the stakeholders at Man United to create a better squad. At the moment, there's not a lot to do, Scott. You think about it, we're out of a transfer window. You can plan targets. I think the worrying thing for Newcastle is that Dan Ashworth knows all of their secrets and knows how they were going to build that project and have had success in the last 12 months, I think you could be applying that to some of Manchester United now in the next few weeks and months and taking it forward. Because we know that one thing that Dan Ashwood does very, very well is he scouts effectively. He knows how to get talent from other parts of the world, bringing it into the football club to propel you forward. And look, we're talking there. We just did a whole segment on Luke Shaw and a left-back. Like, do not tell me there is not a left-back out in the world that you could go and get who doesn't cost the earth, Yeah, that helps with your rotation. It might cost you 10, 15, 20 million. It might be 18, might be 19, might be 20, that can do these things. And I think that Dan Ashworth is the first piece of the jigsaw puzzle, maybe even more importantly, Scott, than, than Omar Barado, because I think Barado will do the, the overall business and sporting side of it. And I think that Ashworth will be tasked to help a manager and to build a proper competent squad because I think that's what this is all about. The burning question. How much should Man United pay for Dan Ashworth? Martin Samuel reckons Newcastle should ask for 60 million. <laughs> <laughs> what am I seeing? This is the first, I think this is the first time I've ever seen like, you mm. know, speculation about how much uh, a person who doesn't play football is going to cost. Like, it's just, in, you know, I said this the other day, in terms of compensation, 
Newcastle are quite annoyed that it's come to this, but also they did this to Brighton a couple of years ago. They did it to they Brighton, did. literally yeah. did it to Brighton a couple of years ago. And now they're demanding 20 million, 20 million, according to the latest reports. But obviously, Rob, I mean, it's all posturing in it. It's yeah. all posturing. Uh, I, like Newcastle can set their stall out. United are saying they're happy to wait. I'm, I'm sure at some point a fair compensation package will be agreed. And I think Ashworth will get in officially probably within the next few months ready for the start of the summer. Uh, that, that's a, that's what I think will happen. Um, but it, it's all a bit ridiculous at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it feels like sporting directors are the new centre-forwards, isn't it? It's like it's everyone getting very excited about it. And of course, for Manchester United, because of the incompetency that we've suffered for 10 years, we are getting a little bit excited about an executive appointment. It's kind of strange, isn't it? He's a director. But I think the thing is with Newcastle is that there is an embarrassment factor there. So you said before, you can have all the money in the world. One of the reasons why he's coming to Man United is because the people that he'll be working with, so I just obviously mentioned Dave Browsford and obviously the Ineos guys, uh, everything to do with Sir Jim Ratcliffe, he's convinced. But there's also always that thing with Man United that if you if you become the guy that gets it right and fixes it, your own legacy, your own your own CV is blown up to a completely new level, isn't it? And I think that he sees that there's potential at Man United. Talking about compensation, it will end up being undisclosed. Like I very much doubt we'll find out what United end up paying for him. Should it be in the multiple millions? Well, I don't think I've ever known a sporting director to move clubs where you've talked about anything more than few hundred thousand pounds like genuinely so i don't know what's in his contract and none of us do and there might well be a competition clause in there which will mean that he can't work for a direct competitor for maybe a few months or i think normally it's six months but it can be 12 months saying that like i keep saying it doesn't matter what's in those contracts once he's away from newcastle and he is now he's officially on gardening leave he's doing the job at man united that's it. Like, he, he can't be doing it site. He can't be at games. Like, you can't... Dave Brailsford's doing all the visual stuff, isn't he? He's at every football match because he's showing it. You know, one thing the Glazers never, ever did was turn up for games. But let's be honest. Behind the scenes, Dan Ashworth will be pulling the strings already from day one. He just can't do it in Newcastle now. That's why Newcastle have sent him off and gone, right, we'll negotiate this with United. And it doesn't matter, does it? Like, if he's official appointment, Scott, in the summer, or is it in two weeks or two months? It doesn't really matter now. You've got the guy. You've got him. And that's what matters now for your project long term. Because we're talking for the years ahead now. We're not just talking, you know, to the end of the season. This is this is a long-term appointment. This is what probably Ralph Ranyuk would have wanted. You know, when Ralph got his little mm. contract at Man United, that's what Ralph Ranyuk needed was, like, assurances for the long term. And to do it quietly behind the scenes, what we did was we dumped him in the middle as the manager and then he had to kind of burn half the team while he was actually the coach in situ. Did you see notice as well that United and Ineos have been speaking to Ralph Raniuk over a period of time? That's something that's come to light in the last few weeks. So you can see how they're building the project in the eyes of Ralph. And I think Dan Ashworth is your, your right guy to take that to the next level. And you've got him now. It's in the bag. It is a done deal. Yeah, obviously the official approach needs to be made by United to Newcastle. I that's yeah, imminent, whatever. but I think yeah, you know, I think that's imminent, but it it wouldn't surprise me if that comes after all the all the communication of it comes after the ratification of the the 25% takeover. But uh it looks as though 
Dan Ashworth will be rocking up at Old Trafford at some point in the future. But why would he leave? Why would he leave Newcastle? I tweeted that this morning. People think I'm being serious. I'm being serious. Why? Why would Dan Ashworth leave? Sarcasm Newcastle? doesn't work on Twitter, Scott. It, it just on. doesn't. Yeah, I've learned that again today. Crazy. Anyway, Dan Ashworth on his way in. What will happen with Old Trafford, though? Last point of the show. Hmm. Any anything else you want to say on Ashworth, or are we are we done? Not really, because I think Ashworth does meld into Old Trafford. It, it's all a bigger picture and a and a grander scale of what Ineos want to do and what Jim Ratcliffe wants to do. So we're learning, obviously, with Old Trafford now the the. Trafford Council and the local area are all involved. So this is not just about what Man United own, but it's also uh, Media City all around there, obviously where, where the BBC are based. And that's been developed for like 10 years, but I think it's stalled a little bit because it was kind of developed to a certain level around the dock area and around Salford Keys. And I think they, they're they looking at this as one big, massive project with, with United and Old Trafford being the jewel in the crown there in the centre. And I think it just lends itself, Scott, to a, a completely brand new stadium on the footprint. And I think that that makes the most financial sense. It makes the most logistical sense in terms of timing. Uh, we believe that the project would, from start to finish would take around five years. So that's different to the redevelopment, which would have taken eight. Like, think about how volatile financial markets are. An extra three years of playing different rates could really cripple your football project. It really could stop you buying footballers in your tracks. But I think a new stadium, Scott, is where we're going here on the footprint of Old Trafford, literally connected to the to the yeah. stadium that's there at the moment. And yeah. I think that that is the only thing, it's the only smart business decision. It won't go down well with some fans, but unfortunately, if you want Manchester United to be a viable football club that wins stuff and is at the very apex of football, you need a stadium that matches that. And I don't think taking down bits of Old Trafford and rebuilding it was ever that viable when you look at the costs. Uh, just read out what the what Trafford Council put out the other day. Yeah, exciting and ambitious plans to regenerate an area neighbouring Media City and surrounding Old Trafford mm. are to be consulted on by Trafford Council. Uh, blah 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 blah. Lots of it. It will be just split into distinct areas: Trafford Wharf, Wharf Heritage Quarter, Stadium District, which is the United area, Innovation Quarter, and Wharfside Heart. Now, if you look at the map of this. Uh, I'm sure it's floating around social media. That's a lot of space. Yes. Now, as as you were saying there, Rob, United have, uh, and we were talking about this a few weeks ago, United have land owned themselves within this space, right? Mm. And we were talking about potential limitations, like where, where do they go? Because maybe the there was enough space to build a new stadium, obviously. But this, if it's in conjunction with the council and we talked about what Andy Burnham said the other day that we will work with United to make the best Old Trafford, whatever they end up deciding on doing. And now we've seen this communication come out. This is a significant area. This is, it's going to be completely revolutionary for it. And it could mean that Old Trafford moves just it's on the same grounds, obviously. But yeah, like I said at the top of the show, I think this is going to mean that we get Old Trafford as it is now, but also a new Old Trafford built next to it mm. and a, a modern version of the stadium with all of this area uh, brought up to speed, you know, to make a great match day experience and to make a, you know, just a great experience to be in, be in that area of the world anyway. Yeah. On, on our Old Trafford shows, I, I said that, 
you know, when you compare it to say Man City's project, what City have done in the local area there in Eastlands, and when, when they they kind of developed their stadium in the footprint, is that that was kind of done in a conjunction that that was owned by by kind of local local council, and I don't know if it's not, not particularly nice, but somehow the the consortium that owns City acquired a lot of that lot of that land at a very very cheap rate. It didn't sound like didn't sound very good like buying council land for for pennies when it's actually worth a lot more and you're turning it into something else the difference with manchester united is scott is that united already own this land is united it belongs to them and the footprint is large and expansive but the, the local area anyone that goes to games and knows stretford and knows the surrounding areas between say stretford and salford keys is that salford keys is all like well, it did look very modern 10 years ago. It's a little bit more tired now than it was back then. BBC are based there now. But I think when you look at, at Stratford and those areas there, it's needed money going into it for many, many years. It's suffered austerity for the last 15 years because of the government. And I think now also we're seeing, Scott, we're getting to a point where maybe we're going to see government will change and we obviously potentially will see Labour coming in. Andy Burnham, as you just said there, is, is a Labour guy. All of these things are kind of coming together at the right time in timing wise in terms of developing it. And I think Jim Ratcliffe's probably looking at that and going, right, I'm going to take advantage of this. I can I can push because they'll obviously want to put money into the area. I'm going to put my money in as well. We're going to build Old Trafford up. And you're going to get this super complex of where you'll be able to come to Old Trafford and it will be like coming to something that that no other football club can can have. Because Man United are one of the few teams that bought all of this land up around their stadium that other football teams just simply do not have. So I think it's very exciting. And I think that this project is what can define your football club for generations to come. Like we talk about winning because it's important and we're excited by the football. But you need Old Trafford to be the best stadium, the best complex, I think, in the world. So we're heading towards a 90,000-seat stadium or something around that. I think when you look at the architectural plans from even in the last year or two, Scott, that it's just too obvious not to do it. And if you've got local council on side, you need more tram stops, you need more you need more uh, infrastructure, you do need more hotels. Like There's one there with hotel football at the moment, which is a privately owned by obviously the class of 92. But I think when you look around Old Trafford, you need more things for fans. Yeah, not just a football pitch. You need facilities and you need transport and you need roads. Like at the moment, the roads at Old Trafford are absolutely disgusting. Getting in and out of Old Trafford is a nightmare every game. And I feel like I've done it for 30 years. I literally sat on those roads, you know, staring into the abyss after football matches. That's what happens uh, uh, in Manchester. So, And I think it's great for Manchester itself that, that the primary club in Manchester, the biggest club in Manchester, acts like the biggest club in Manchester and the biggest club in England. Yeah, we'll see how uh, we'll see how this develops. Obviously, I think the announcement of these plans to consult about this and yeah. everything, all the areas that are involved in this, I think it just screamed out to me that this this is going to be big. And you know, like you say, Rob, if this is done in five years, have you seen five years? I haven't. Mm. I hadn't actually heard the five years thing. Yeah, I, th I think the whole the whole idea when we talk about five years, we're not just talking about the stadium. Like the stadium itself mm. might yeah. be two or three years. Yeah, the whole project with with the with Trafford Council and the local area, and the, maybe there's a lot of private landowners again in Salford Keys. So like hell of a lot of developers. There is that you've got to kind of all come together, and it is a five year project. That's what they're looking at to do it all from start to finish. You think about it, Scott's tram tram lines and train lines. 
cost like billions. <laughs> they really do. It's in really expensive outlay. And that's what takes time. And I think that's what the whole five-year project would be, is that you might get stadium in two, two and a half years on the footprint, but it will be a building site for five because that's what it is. You think about Tottenham as well. When Tottenham did their stadium, local area, they had to kind of bring it up to, to scratch to be able to let people over to come into that part of Tottenham. Some was already there, but it, it's, it needed developing. Arsenal did the same with the Emirates. So it was a part of London that needed an extra tube station costs hundreds of millions it's really expensive and united if you're going to do it you're going to have to do it properly you're going to have to put in tram stops and at the moment there's two trams one that kind of stops uh, at the cricket ground which is just a little bit too far away even though it's not mm -hmm. too far away also i wonder the cricket ground will fall under this whole remit of redevelopment because that's where kind of trafford extends out to i wouldn't be surprised if that's all interconnected as well because I always used to park at the cricket ground for many, many years. It felt like going to Old Trafford. That's where I parked. It's definitely part of the local the local footprint. And United own all of that land around on the backside of it where all the kind of industrial area is. So they're going to be looking to use as much as possible and maximise it. Right. Talking about, we talked about on the pitch, you know, but and there's problems there. But in general, it's a quite exciting times. It's quite exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you have what's, to look past some this? of it. What is this? Yeah, no, it's so very on Man United, isn't it? But you have to look past sometimes the in-game feelings because, like, again, I, you know, you and me do it, Scott, don't we? I'll talk about tactics, and we kind of end up with the same summary of that. Well, what do you do with this lot? Like, they're just not very good, some of them. And the right, the right choice is to change them. But I do think that, overall, there's just a, maybe a more, more kind of relaxation behind our project now, thinking, well... It might not be good today and you can't guarantee anything tomorrow. And you know what? At the end of the season, we might well still be disappointed. And that might be what the manager gets judged, judged on at the end of the season of what results happen now. But I feel all right about it. Because even if you lose Eric Ten Hag at the end of the season, I, I don't feel that the project itself will get compromised. You just will do it with someone else. I hope, like you, that he gets longer to do it because I think he's a competent manager and he can do the job. But it's the same with the players, Scott. Like we talk about Bruno Fernandes, we talk about Marcus Rashford. I don't support players. I support a football club. And if those players are not at that club because they're not good enough or they haven't proved it week in, week out, I'm fine with that. I don't, I'm no fanboy with any footballer. And I think you build it and you move forward. I think the only one I really am a bit of a fanboy of is Cobby. So, like, I want to see Cobby play every week and not get injured, fingers crossed. You don't lose Cobby there. I think we all like Lissandro, don't we? We like what he does. Let's be honest, half of them I don't even really like. They're not that good. You know, you don't watch them every week and think that they help United all the time. So I think that's the balancing point here is that you you finally now got people in the boardroom that can take you to another level. Dan Ashworth, that room looks different, doesn't it, suddenly? Because you're not talking about Joel Glazer anymore. You're not talking about playboys from Florida. You're talking about people who are in Manchester pushing the project forward with whoever their coach is. But what can Jim do with 25%? Anyway. No, but but I think we have to like, I think the thing is now we, we've been on our soapbox, haven't we, for like near on a year on all of this and trying to explain it to, to the audience or the bits we know. And it's still going to live out there. You see, this is kind of what I've learned. Like there's still going to be a section who just will be, must be Glazer out, must be, you know, 25% is nothing. He's not going to put his money in, blah, 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 blah. Well, I'll tell you what, they're not going to do a billion pound project around 
Old Trafford with local council if they're not putting money in. That's the real key here, Scott, is that that Trafford Council know that United are putting this money in and that's why they're now going, oh, oh, there's something here to play with, you know. And that was never there with the Glazers. The Glazers own the land, £9 million worth of land that they earned, that they owned. It's just sat there dormant for years. Now United might be able to develop it and use it. And I think this has a massive knock into the team. Like, this is where I think you can actually attract people to the football club that you couldn't before. And I include Dan Ashworth in that, but I also include players. Players will look at this and go, I'm 24 years old. Maybe this is the place to play my career now for the next 10 years where I'm not quite sure, you know, Jude Bellingham, when he was asked that not so long ago, went, now I'm off to Dortmund. Don't want to do this. Bye. And he could have come to Man United. So I think that's kind of where you are with it. So the whole project has to be more attractive to people who are winners and are going to take you towards winning. Bit of hope, finally. Anyway, uh, we'll wrap it up there. This has been the Promised Land podcast. We'll be back later this week. United play Fulham at Old Trafford on Saturday. Saturday, 3pm. That one for you, Rob? Weird, isn't it? Strange going to a normal timed Mm. game at Old Trafford, and I'd like to see more of those. I'd love that to change. I'd love to go back to be able to do it, but I don't think we're ever going to go backwards now where where kickoff times maybe suit our lifestyles. <laughs> I think that's the other side of it is actually getting to games and going there. But yeah, Fulham, tough game. We'll obviously talk about that um, uh, in the show ahead. And just maybe just more or less worried about United themselves. Like I'm still worried about Casemiro. I could do literally another two hours on Casemiro's positioning and all of those things. But I think the manager is, he's got, it seems like a settled team now, doesn't it? Like, you know, tactically, it feels like, that the players know what the manager wants to do and the manager knows what he wants them to do. So we'll see what happens against Fulham. Yep, we'll be back soon. This has been the Promised Land, part of the Nightmare Podcast Network from Scott and Rob. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, etc. for audio, and YouTube, the Promised Land and Man United podcast. Like the video, leave a comment for us. Uh, we really appreciate the support and the love. Hit the notification bell if you subscribe to the channel so you never miss a show. And get in touch with us on socials as well at double underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise and MU. Until next time, everyone, have a great week. Man United are winning matches. They've gone unbeaten this. They've won every match in 2024. How long will that run last? We will see. Until next time, see you soon, everyone. It's been The Promise Land. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.